0: Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. And before we get started, I have to give you a congratulations, Andy. Just congratulations for making it this far in the year, because it has been a long time since we've gone without football. But here it is. This is Labor Day weekend. It's also the start of college football season. Just a big pat on the back for us for making it this far.
1: And this is as good as it gets. This is when hopes are high. Like, none of the bad parts of football. Like, three weeks from now, I'll be like, man, why do I even fucking watch football, dude? But right now, I'm just like, it's all hope and good feelings, and I'm happy it's returned. Hey, right now, all of your
0: teams are at the top of the table, as they would say. They're undefeated, In England soccer, or in football. Uh, Yeah, everybody's undefeated, so... Whatever you think is going to happen this season, you're right at this moment. So, um, correct. I did. There's something that's really fascinating about what's going on in college football that I, I, I was reading the story and I was like, man, this this perfectly intersects with what we always talk about. Uh, with our beginning of these episodes, where we, we usually find something that irritates us with people finding loopholes, or we love talking about just like the fascination of how people earn money because we have very similar interests when it comes to like documentaries and, and things like that. So, the NIL. So for those of you who aren't aware, the NIL is the name image and likeness, which is basically this idea that for ever since the NCAA founded the idea of amateurism in sports, basically getting away with having to pay players, players across all sports in college sports in the United States have played for free essentially. That yeah, they get room and board and they get a small stipend and they get, you know, their college paid for, which is a lot, but they aren't paid for like their specific performance. So you have guys that are bringing in tens of millions of dollars in revenue for each school, guys or girls that don't see an ounce of that. And it's pretty tough because some of these people may even get injured. And those injuries, the, these scholarships and all these things that they're supposed to be earning, they're not guaranteed by any uh, insurance. So these folks that are earning tens of millions of dollars for the school each year can have a catastrophic injury and just be cut off. Well, part of the way they are addressing that is this NIL, which is the ability to make money off your name, image, and likeness. Uh, which I'm sure you're aware of this term, Andy. But this is more for just like background for the for the listeners. I don't know this for sure, but I bet if you were talking to somebody from the NCAA, I think the way they originally thought this would be rolled out is that people that have a following, these big name stars in revenue sports would be able to, you know, sign jerseys and have signings and things like that and be able to get, you know, a few thousand dollars here and there. Well, very quickly after the NIL rolled out, you started having local businesses that would have, you know, commercials and outings with certain players. So you'd have like a car dealership in Columbus, Ohio, that would have like a star quarterback for Ohio State. They get paid a few grand to like appear on a commercial or whatever.
1: Or free cars for the whole offensive line, or whatever the deal. Right, is. Bijan Robinson at Texas currently has a deal with a Lamborghini of Austin, so he is driving around in a brand new Aventador all year during his Heisman campaign. Yeah. Which that doesn't suck being no, a twenty-year-old Heisman favorite with a free Lamborghini it does that not suck. Cool. And Lord
0: knows he worked his tail off to get to that point. So shouts out absolutely, to Bijan Robinson, definite shouts out. Um, but what you're describing is what the NIL slowly became over time. And then it got to the point where in order to not lose out on recruiting, you've got these NIL collectives where boosters from schools are getting together and just blindly paying every player on the roster $25,000, $40,000, Yeah, sal- 50, like 000. literal salaries. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> um, which is definitely not what the NCAA intended. But the NCAA is probably the least they have the least foresight of any organization, maybe in the history of organizations. So the fact that they wanted to implement this and it didn't work out the way they wanted is, you know, that's
1: very obvious that that would happen. That's that's tough cookies, man. Yeah, like everyone everyone was like lining up at the gate, like being like, this is how this is going to go. And they were like, no, it'll work. It'll be fine. Like they're horrible. So the story that I found interesting, you have
0: certain players that, again, the NIL can't, I think this is an important distinction that I maybe I didn't touch on, the nil can't be tied to performance because it's not supposed to be they're getting paid for their play they're supposed to be getting paid for their image and likeness because that was their celebrity yeah yeah exactly um because that's kind of how the ncaa got in trouble a few years ago with the with the football games the ncaa football the ea games because they were using players as you know faces and body builds in these games and then not
1: paying them or compensating them so one other point I'll, I'll throw in here is that the reason that the NCAA originally invented like the, both the term amateurism and the term student athlete was a very hard-fought court case from this, the 50s where a guy that played football, I believe for Harvard or maybe Yale, he was married as dudes were in 1950 when they were in college, <laughs> yeah. and he got an injury in a football game and died. And his wife sued the school for workers' compensation because he was effectively an employee of the of the school. He was generating revenue for the school, doing a service for them, they were making money off of it. He was an employee. And so the NCAA created this term of student athlete, like student first, and amateurism in order to maintain this like separation between like the idea of these guys being employees and revenue generating assets to the school and You know, all the penalties and regulation that comes with that. So, yeah, that's where that's a big piece of this equation as well. Right. So in summary of all this, uh, there is this this
0: movement to start paying players, which they definitely deserve. These payments, this NIL can't be tied by performance. It has to be tied by, again, their image and likeness. And as you put it, their celebrity. And it's starting to get out of control, which leads us to the interesting story of the day. Have you heard of this player? You may not recognize the name because he's been in and out of the game for a little bit. Have you heard of the the quarterback named Miles Brennan from LSU? Does that ring a bell? Yeah, it rings a bell, but I couldn't tell you the story. Okay, so Miles Brennan was the starting quarterback of LSU in 2020 for most of the year, and then he got injured. And so he didn't play the last bit of 2020, He didn't play most of 2021, but going into this last year, he was the projected starter at LSU. So LSU is one of the biggest brands in college football and college sports. I don't think that's a surprise to most people. And that deal of being the quarterback of LSU, that is a very profitable position to be in from the NIL perspective. So Miles Brennan obviously had NIL deals. He had deals... With raising canes, with Smoothie King, I believe, um, with different even like different cryptocurrencies, the different car dealerships in the in the town of Baton Rouge or the city of Baton Rouge. Well, you realize that I'm saying the word had nil deals with because Miles Brennan quit football. He quit football, but his nil deal is tied to who he is and not his performance. So.
1: that's so awesome
0: (laughs) there are rumors that he was paid upwards of one to three million dollars in nil deals and again these are just rumors so i'm I'm not i'm not reporting (laughs) anything
1: that fucking rules dude got a few million bucks and then quit football and he gets to keep it how you know what i respect that? that i respect that way more than i respect like the quinn ewers like Take a million bucks in NIL money from Ohio State and then go to Texas, like, and keep that money? Because that seems, like, way shittier to me than, like, hey, man, like, I'm on my way out the sport. You know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm trying to, like, set myself up here for, like, the long haul. This might be the last real, like, millionaire-type money I ever get, so shout here out. it is like heavy shout yeah out. dude good for you miles good for you miles that's awesome you invest that money right dude go get a real job and act like that money doesn't exist for a decade and you can retire at 30 oh yeah like, easy you're good dog yeah like that's awesome so shout out that's to miles awesome. um hard pivot and he got and he's got a national championship ring that he won with joey b and he's... Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah I <laughs> that's guess he awesome. would.
0: Yeah, I guess it depends. So they won the Natty in 2019. So it would be... If he was a redshirt freshman or, you know, on the roster, he would yeah. have one. His
1: Wikipedia says he got there in 2017. There he is. He's go. a redshirt senior. Nice. So he's, he's been on LSU's team for six years. And then 2022 said you know what brian kelly i'm good dog peace <laughs> that i'm a with you he
0: saw all those weird recruiting videos that brian kelly was doing where he was dancing with 18 year olds in those booths as, like, the that's like that's so was spinning.
1: odd it's my very guy Very weird very odd yeah
0: <laughs> do not google it
1: i feel like i blame AM for beginning the fad of like the hey fellow kids college recruiting oh, the thing that, like kevin sumlin yeah just all that like listen Fellow kids, we know what you guys do with your Razor phones and your Facebooks, all right? We're 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 plugged in, all right? You guys know who Lil Yachty is? We know who Lil Yachty is. Like, all that began for me with Kevin Sumlin, and so I blame him for all of it. Yeah, <laughs> that was rough, and... uh I'm glad that our alma mater hasn't
0: gone too hard in that direction so far. And I think it just depends on your coaching. I mean,
1: stuff. the worst we ever got was cliff and that was just like cliff being cliff. So it, it I don't feel like the school takes much, much blowback from that. But when you have
0: literally the youngest coach in college football, who's also like, you know, a handsome city boy then it kind of like it works but when when you have a dude who's like in his 60s that's pretending that he's he's walking in like this steve bushimi skit
1: where he's like hello how do you do fellow yeah
0: that's how it feels
1: got a skateboard over his shoulder (laughs) like backwards hat
0: like yeah dude oh my god speaking of leaving destruction in your wake like miles brennan let's talk about akira oh Um, i'm stoked that was one of my better pivots uh of the last month or so um you're dude you're getting it man you're
1: getting you're getting better and better at the transitions
0: um so as we've talked about for several months this is the akira episode that we've been waiting to release i guess it's not the, the akira episode we've been waiting to release because that one is dead and gone
1: this is our new and improved that's akira in, that's in the vault yeah <laughs> someday someday when we have a patreon if you pay like 10 grand we'll let you listen to the it's like the wu-tang album you know like you can listen to there's only going to be one coffee, we're going to put it on a thumb drive and you can listen to an uncut raw version of the akira episode
0: it's going to be a such a big letdown it's going to be a bigger letdown when uh then when what's his name Takita?
1: what's the guy who gets the yeah yeah
0: <laughs> when he opens up the akira capsule and it's not it's akira is not in there it's his body part <laughs> that's how our fans are gonna feel they're gonna be like what what is this garbage? So, Akira. This is 1998 film is what we're going to be talking about. We are going to touch on the manga a little bit, but this is not an episode about the manga per se. Um, and there's a lot of differences in the two. Yeah, and
1: think. it's 1988 for the record. This is this is what, very what old 1998? school. 1998. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: 1988.
1: Apologies. I would say this is like the first crossover hit of anime in the United States in the West. Um, and for me, this was like the first... I would say this was the first anime outside of, like, Pokemon, Dragon Ball Z. Like, after I was a little kid, this is the first anime I that I would watch as an adult that I would say. I was like, damn, this is, like, art. This is, like, actually artistically valuable. Right. And uh, I think anime, like, especially when we were kids, like, anime got dogged a lot as, like, purely the, uh, the realm of, of nerds and dorks. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with like the kind of anime that became popular in the West. Like I said, Dragon Ball Z and like a lot of kind of the weird tropes that come along with that style of anime. Akira, on the other hand, is like one, it's it's absolutely gorgeous. Like even today, when you watch it, you're I'm kind of blown away by how beautiful it is. Like every f- still frame of this movie is beautiful. It could be turned into a poster. yeah. And second, it has a lot to say, both about just like, the, the future that people in the late 80s were envisioning and particularly I think the nation of Japan as they kind of like looked at their own identity and the future they were embarking on they were coming to the end of a decade of like probably their most successful decade as a country since the fall of the Japanese empire like they had been in this like crazy I think it's hard for people in the modern world to understand especially younger listeners but In the 80s, Japan was what China is now. Like America had this weird fear that like the Japanese were like, oh, they're so aggressive at business. They're going to eat us. Their economy is growing so fast. They were the second largest economy in the world. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of media made around that theme that like Japanese business with its like hyper focus on efficiency and like they work so much, they work so much harder than us. We're kind of soft compared to Japan. And so like Japan had to kind of examine that, Uh, identity for themselves, and we know now, like looking back, uh, the 90s would not be nice to Japan. They call it the lost decade. It was like a a time of economic stagnation uh, and decline, and so this was like a movie that was made kind of at the peak of Japanese economic and consumerist tendencies, uh, and kind of trying to figure out I think the, the soul of this new nation that they had created in the wake of the fall of one version of Japan and the rise of another. So it's in, in many ways, the themes of the story mirror, you know, the, the journey that the Japanese people have been on. So it's an incredibly interesting and deep movie for something that I think, you know, when you see like, Oh, it's an anime, it's a cartoon, but this is a pretty deep piece of media.
0: Yeah. They, I think one of the oldest and honestly, most helpful pieces of advice that you could give to anybody is to write what you know and, this yeah, manga. This film is a great example of writing what you know. This story, this setting. I don't think it could have happened if it was if this came from a different culture. The culture that Japan had, what they had gone through historically, what the writer had gone through, what his family had gone through, uh, and his country had gone through, aren't. It very much bleeds into the story of Akira. When you have, I mean, literally the story Absolutely. starts off with. The, the main story takes place in 2019, but then the, the precursor to the story takes place in the 80s when a World War III is going on and a bomb, an atomic bomb, or so they believe, blows up Tokyo. And then it's the aftermath of this new Tokyo. And the fallout of what that nuclear explosion uh, causes to the youth, to the city, to their relationship with technology and those who survived the blast that is that's stuff that again can only come from this culture so it it's not only is it an interesting story with interesting characters that gave a lot of influence to films and shows like the matrix and stranger things but it also is a kind of a I wouldn't say a time capsule but a cultural capsule into like this is this is kind of important to i guess japanese culture if you will
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And we see a lot of elements of Japanese culture at the time reflected in what we see throughout the story. So for instance, like the main set of protagonists are uh, in a vigilante motorcycle gang at the time, like youth culture in Japan, like car culture and bosozoku culture, which is kind of outlaw motorcycle culture in Japan had risen and become like these symbols of kind of uh, the counterculture for the youth in Japan. That's where we got So many things that became popular later, all the import tuner, street racing, drifting culture that Japan became famous for in the early 90s, mid 90s, that eventually made their way to America in the forms of like the Fast and Furious movies and things like that, that all started here. And we see that uh, the characters in this story are deep within this kind of rebellious counterculture. At the time in Japan, like obviously the parent, the, the people that were young at this time in the late 80s their parents had been the war, post-war generation. They had been told, like, your emperor is not a god. The emperor, who they had been raised to believe is a god, had, had to, been forced to go on the radio in front of the entire nation and admit that he was not divine, which is like this sh- truly soul-shattering oh, moment yeah. for the entire country. It's really crazy to think about, like, an entire culture learning in unison, like, in real time, that, like, the thing they consider god is, is dead, like there is no god, effectively, for them. And they kind of plunge headlong into capitalism as a replacement for the spiritual and like nationalistic life they had known beforehand. It's kind of the birth of Japanese salaryman culture, Japanese work culture, and the fast paced version of Japanese capitalism that we saw throughout the eighties were companies like Sony and, uh, you know, the millions of Japanese electronic brands, Toshiba, like all these companies that rose to power and prominence in the early eighties, um, our own market domestic market was flooded with these kind of cheap, powerful Japanese electronics. And the children of these workers were the first, and I think we saw this in the United States. Uh, Both in Gen X and especially in the late '90s, were these children that were like, "Do I really want that life? Right? Like, is it? Do I really want to choose to like work myself to death in a tie and and suit, like, in order to make you know a slightly better salary every year until I'm dead?" Um, And so they plunged headlong into these kind of countercultural movements. And so the characters were introduced to right at the beginning of Akira, uh, Kaneda, and his little like group of they're called the Capsules, which. Not a super tight name for a gang, but you know, it probably sounds cooler in Japanese. They are just like roaming the streets at night of this Neo Tokyo. It's like this shiny neon future built over the ashes of the previously destroyed yeah. Tokyo. Incredible world build. Which is obviously super great world building super symbolic, right? Like this shiny industrialist, consumerist future built over the top of like what what had been there before. And that's that's really what the modern Japan was, right? Like it had been reduced, flattened by the American atomic bombs and... Uh, not only flattened physically, but flattened spiritually, flattened, uh, you know, emotionally and what was built on top of it to replace it was this like shiny ad filled consumerist version of a new Japan that was supposed to take them into the, the next stage of their, their country's identity. Um, and so Kanada and his friends are kind of like doing their outlaw biker thing. They're having like a war against, a, a different biker gang called the clowns. And, uh, as they're going through this initial conflict through the streets of Tokyo, uh, they one of them uh witnesses a child crawling through the streets and he's like, Oh my gosh, I'm about to hit this kid. He swerves, his headlights go over the kid, and he notices this what he thinks is a baby has like the face of like a ninety year old man. Yeah. And so he crashes his bike, and we come to learn very quickly that this little baby is an escaped government project a like psychic uh i guess child that had escaped from this government project and that's our first kind of look into the fact that like what we're going to deal with here is much larger than just like these kids and their misadventures among the streets we're going to be dealing with uh some pretty crazy heady stuff yeah
0: and it's going to be a lot weirder than we thought because when i first watched this film you had been asking me man you got to watch akira you got to watch akira And all I knew about Akira was the iconic poster of the guy in the all red with the puffy jacket walking to the the red motorcycle. And I knew that it was a movie about motorcycle gangs. And I was like, sweet. That's what it's going to be about, motorcycle gangs. You know, that's all it's going to be about. And for the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie, that's what it's about. And then suddenly you see this. And I think even before that, it shows the kid – Uh, being led by an older man through the streets and they're clearly running away from somebody and then he gets stopped and there's the government agents and he lets out a shrill and then basically all the glass in the city block just explodes. You can tell he has psychic powers. It is such a hard pivot. Um, Yeah, And I think in most stories you don't want to do that. In most stories you want to start out the first few pages with a good tone setter that describes what the novel or what the story is going to be about, right? Like if you were writing a... If you're writing like a high fantasy and the first 10 pages play off like a rom-com and then suddenly it splits to a guy with a sword destroying a demon, you'd be like, what the hell? But I think for this setting, yeah, for this setting and for what this story is trying to do and the fact that there is a underbelly to New Tokyo and these, for lack of a better term, these psychic kids are being hidden from society and that there's a like you said a larger thing at play it kind of works it kind of works that you as the audience don't know about this and neither do our characters and then it's suddenly thrust into their face
1: yeah and what we're ultimately going to see through this story is like what happens when a human being with all the flaws of a human being is given the powers of god and that person in this story is tetsuo uh, Tetsuo is kind of the runt of the litter in Kaneda's gang. Kaneda is like the classic street tough. He's kind of the alpha of his group of friends. Yeah. He has that like confidence that has allowed him to like organically become leader of the pack. Um, Tetsuo very much just like, looks up to Kaneda, but is also jealous of him. Like he wants to have what Kaneda has, both from like an attention from women's standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, from a, his bike is really cool standpoint And it's actually Tetsuo that crashes into this psychic kid and becomes embroiled in the lives of these psychics, especially one particular powerful psychic named Akira. And we learn very quickly kind of in the next segment of this film that when we kind of cut from what the kids are doing to this secret government facility where we hear like a discussion between like these, you know, secret government men and black doctors that are working on this project that – Tetsuo now has the powers of Akira, or similar to Akira, similar like readings to Akira, and it, it was Akira's power that had destroyed Tokyo in 1988. So unlike the introduction where we thought it was you know, an atomic bomb or some kind of weapon system, um, it had been a uh, psychic explosion or a release of energy by Akira that had destroyed Tokyo in 1988. Quick note on Tetsuo, by, by the way, before we
0: go on, punchable face. 10 out of 10 punchable face yeah he sucks he his character design is is great because you've got you have Kaneda who is like you said he is just kind I almost to say like all-american protagonist but he kind of does have that he's got the kind of comb over he stands tall he's like clearly handsome he's very like looked up upon and then Tetsuo who's kind of his best friend who's kind of more you can tell he's kind of more the comedic element of the group and he very much plays the role of like um Joe Pesci's character in Goodfellas where he's he's a hothead and that hothead kind of leads to him being the funny one of the group and speaking of his head he's got a huge forehead and a huge head that's what I mean he's very punchable giant head he's he just has a very punchable character design Um, and so I think they did a good job of making this Tetsuo character good character design.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so now there becomes this kind of discussion within the various parties of government about like what they're going to do about this cuz obviously they know from their experience with the cure that someone with this level of power that doesn't understand it or how to control it can be incredibly dangerous. And it becomes this uh discussion of like, well, should we like kill this kid to prevent that, should we try to control him, should we like try to help this kid. And so we we come to understand there's kind of this like Game of Thrones happening within the Neo Tokyo, like a military, civilian government, science establishment. Mm-hmm. Um in the meantime, Tetsuo is just like it's not fun, right? Like he isn't just like suddenly aware he has these powers and it's awesome. He's having like these horrible headaches his uh emotional state is breaking down as like this powers have come into him and he's had this traumatic uh injuries yeah these hallucinations Um, are what
0: that tetsuo goes through when he gets these powers are incredible examples of of wordless storytelling where there's these great scenes where it shows tetsuo rolling around in his bed he starts having these nightmares where he thinks he's awake or he's thinks everything's cool and then he sees like the toy teddy bears crawling onto his bed and like fighting each yeah. other and stuff and then the massive teddy bear tries to like devour him and it's just this is and uh, we, t- we touched on this earlier this show or this movie is shot so well and the design and the animation is absolutely incredible as is the music i love them this is one of the very rarely do i watch a movie and i recognize like 30 minutes in the score is really good the score in this movie is incredible
1: um it's so and tough. in those
0: hallucination yeah. scenes you don't get any dialogue you just have i'm i keep calling him something different but it's tetsuo i keep calling him like something else anyway tetsuo will just be screaming or freaking out while the hallucinations happening and then i'll have these like gongs and the rattling and then sometimes they'll they'll infuse some kind of like neo synth pop music into it and it sounds it's just very aboding music it sounds awesome so it has it has it is this kind of
1: like almost like sonic war between like very traditional japanese sounds like very like naked japanese instruments you might hear in like a buddhist temple and then also kind of that like highly electronic synthetic sound that was very popular in like the 80s and 90s in japanese music and so again just like what we see throughout the story um those two things clashing And so now uh, Tetsuo is taken to this hospital. He's become aware that there are other ESP kids that have these like psychic powers. And he's told that he he becomes aware of Akira, who's uh, he's told is like being held uh, in the Olympic uh, stadium construction site. And so he decides he's going to break out of this hospital and go find Akira to like get help with how to deal with all this power. And... Like you said, he's, like, a super hothead, and now he's been given this, like, crazy ability, and so he just slaughters the shit out of everyone who stands in his way. He, like, destroys all these hospital orderlies. He's, like, blowing people into pieces. It's pretty fucked up. Meanwhile, Kanada has, like, joined kind of the resistance group against the government. It's not something he's ever been, like, involved in. In fact, we see a scene at the beginning of the movie where one of the resistance people, like, tries to, like, pull a pin on a grenade in the, like to attack the government for, cause obviously the government is very nefarious and up to no good in this movie. And, uh, Canada kind of mocks the guy being like, Hey buddy, if you, if you want to die, just kill yourself or something is like the dub version of it, which sounds really funny. But like, he's basically like an apolitical person at the beginning of this. And he comes to realize that like, no, like it is, I do need to take some part in trying to strike back against this system that's doing evil. Uh, and someone needs to help my friend because, you know, it seems like the government does not have his best interests at heart. So while that's happening, the leader of the like Neo-Tokyo m- military arm stages this full coup d'etat, wipes out the, the Neo-Tokyo civilian government and is like, all right, cool, I'm in charge now. We are going to kill this kid because we are not going to allow another Akira situation to happen. Right. And so now we've got like all our characters Coalescing at the Olympic uh, Stadium construction site, so Tetsuo's headed there to find Akira. The military is trying to track Tetsuo to kill him. Kanada's trying to get there to like help Tetsuo, who's his friend. And when they arrive, like it turns out, like Akira isn't there. Akira's like remains are there. Like you mentioned at the beginning of this, he's like the you know the being that is Akira no longer exists as far as like a physical body, and so Tetsuo is like at that this point kind of confronted by his old friends. But we were at this point, I think kind of made aware of the fact that like Tetsuo, the person that they knew is kind of gone. And Tetsuo has now absorbed all this power is now aware of his abilities and is now all those like insecurities and things we saw in his character. at The beginning are starting to be like, no dude, I don't have to be jealous of you anymore. Now I get to be in charge. Right. And so Canada's like, damn dude, what the fuck? And at this exact moment, the military is like, there's that fucker let's kill him and so they try to shoot him with this like badass orbital laser weapon thing they all they do manage to do is like destroy his arm not super effective and it really just pisses tetsuo off um and then he manages to like destroy the the orbital weapon before it can even fire again so he's just like global level he flies out into space
0: and just like destroys this satellite and it's it's very sick it's very well animated
1: He also is, like, starting to just, like, absorb things around him. So he's, like, absorbed, like, machinery parts and made himself a robotic arm. And, like, his powers, he's effectively losing control of his powers. Like, the more he uses and the more he, like, gives into his rage, like, the less control he has over these abilities that he's gained. He's in a ton of pain, and he's just kind of striking out at anyone. Uh, And, like, the other ESP kids and Kanada are trying to kind of do anything they can to like heal his injuries, like allow him to just like gain control of himself for a moment. So he can see like what is happening. Canada or Canada, um, confronts Tetsuo. But at this point, Tetsuo is just like, fuck off, dude. He mutates into this like giant ball of like crazy flesh. And we kind of have this final showdown between the military and Tetsuo, who's at this point, effectively a God. Yeah. Um, and it looks like we're going to have a, another, like, destruction of Neo-Tokyo, much as 1988's uh, original Tokyo was destroyed. Um, fortunately, the ESP kids show up and kind of defuse this situation, uh, and they're they're able to take Tetsuo, separate Tetsuo and this, like, godlike beings, like, souls from one another, and Tetsuo is left kind of, like, powerless and, like, on another plane of existence. The ending of... of Akira is one of the most debated things I've ever seen like this movie's been out for like 35 40 years and I've seen a hundred different interpretations of this Um, the one that I have always like kind of come to personally is that what was happening was that Tetsuo was kind of merging with both the power and consciousness of Akira who wanted to strike out at those who had like experimented on and like harmed him. And so Tetsuo's own insecurities and rage had been leveraged by this entity creating this singularity that had originally destroyed like Tokyo originally that was going to happen again. And the little psychic kids made a sacrifice in order to prevent that from happening again. And Tetsuo kind of ended up joining them finally finding peace for himself And leaving our plane of existence, leaving behind kind of the, all the mess that needed to be cleaned up. But ultimately, like, it's more about the, this is one of those endings. It's more about like the theme that the underlying theme of what it's trying to say about like, this is the, the future that we're rushing towards is this like singularity where we have the capability of destroying ourselves. Like, what will we do with that knowledge knowing that we've done this before? Will we like repeat our mistakes of the past kind of thing? and like you said it's just so beautifully animated and the score everything about this is so well done i saw this movie for the first time when i was probably like 12 or 13 and i think i've watched it probably once a year since then yep. and it every time i watch it i'm still just like damn dude like it's, it leaves my head a little bit lighter like every time like for a good day or so i'm like oh that's really heavy that's crazy i
0: think it can be i think akira stands alone as a good story in a good film but I think it it can be lost on you how much influence it has in modern culture if you don't kind of like look up on it and know when we talked about the sun also rises we had to kind of take a step back and say even if we don't agree with some of the things that are being done here the sun also rises its writing style in these kind of characters paved the way for x y and z right it was influential and so I think there are things that if you didn't watch Akira when it first came out in 1988, you wouldn't realize how groundbreaking it is. As we, as, and we hit on some of these things before, but the plot of this telekinetic person that is trying to be captured by the government and then eventually can't control their powers and their powers eventually kind of mesh with their personality to become a monster, that that's kind of an overdone thing that... Every year there's a story or a show or a movie that kind of touches on that in some way or another, but Akira invented it. This is Akira's Akira invented that sort of character arc, if you want to call it that,
1: um, especially for like superpowers just like the the aesthetics the aesthetics of this are absolutely timeless like even down to like very tiny things like there's something called the akira slide that if you see it once you'll know exactly what i'm talking about it is a it is a shot where someone is riding a motorcycle and the camera is behind the person on the motorcycle and they they turn the motorcycle sideways and look back at the camera as they're sliding sideways away from the camera Mm -hmm. and it's been reused in like every like action cartoon series ever like batman gargoyles teenage mutant ninja turtles teen titans pokemon marvel spider-man x-men origin um, even like the the key and or the uh the new movie from um jordan peele uh is he's it nope which is really really awesome and then beyond that just like the this really started that whole wave of like japanese cyberpunk which we is like it's so commonplace now and so used in so many places that like, it's hard to believe it all came from like a single point of origin, but this is really where like ghost in the shell, you know, battle angel, Alita matrix, Godzilla, Tetsuo, Iron man, ready player one, CD project red, cyberpunk, 2077 deus ex machina. Like all of those things are like looking back at like standing on the shoulders of the giant that is Akira. So like from an aesthetic perspective, from these stylistic elements that are in this movie. It is like maybe one of the most influential pieces of media ever made, at least in our modern era, for sure. It's really crazy. And it,
0: it was a huge leap forward for how we thought of animation. You kind of touched on that earlier, but this was not the first animated film. This was not even the first animated film that was kind of like action inherently, um, and told, I wouldn't even say a similar plot, but like was a, a manga adaptation in, you know, in an animated film, but at the time was groundbreaking in nature and how, how well animated it was. And you can go read some articles or watch some videos on the history of how Akira was animated. It's pretty fascinating. They were able to get these two kind of rival studios to help work together and create Akira. And it just kind of raised the bar for all animated films. And then you had this rush of beautiful animated films throughout the 90s and the 2000s that has again just changed how we look at animated films especially like manga inspired you know anime
1: yeah empire recently did their uh 24 best anime movies of all time and uh akira is number two like the only one above this is the the Studio Ghibli absolute monster Spirited Away, yeah, which is like that makes Oscar that's has like a thousand Oscars and is like considered one of the best pieces of media period of the last 50 years. Yeah. I it's, it's Spirited Away, Akira, uh, Ninja Scroll, Ghost in the Shell, and the girl who Let through time are like the top five Yeah, and Akira at number, the number two spot is it, that that's a real testament to like, considering that you're talking about like spirited away, how's moving castle, like there's been like these really crazy huge anime movies that have become like heralded above like your average animated piece of of motion picture and um akira stands with the best of them so yeah man this is uh this is such an incredible incredible movie um this is like one of the few pieces of anime that i've like forced my wife to watch because like that's not her thing at all but i'm just like no this is important you need to watch this (laughs) yeah
0: if i had a complaint about akira it is and i think you'd agree with me on this is that what they are adapting the manga they're adapting has so many events that happen it's significantly longer obviously than the and oh, yeah. it's six yeah. volumes and each volume is pretty thick. So the product that they came out with this two hour film is about as good as they could have done, but ultimately it's not enough. Like they need, in my opinion, they needed more time to flesh out all the events so that things make sense. Because one complaint I have watching the movie, especially for the first time, not knowing what is supposed to be covered, not knowing these characters at all, or, or the storyline of the background is there are moments in this film where the storyline takes an incredibly abrupt turn and that's sure. not helped by the fact that the voice actors do a really good job but there's a lot of talking over one another and so they'll have multiple people talking back and forth over each other and you're kind of supposed to just like pick up on the importance of it and they go run off and do something and you're not if you're not paying attention the plot can get away from you very fast to the point where you're like, okay, they're at the hospital now, and you look up, and it's like, okay, now they're going to this old junkyard. Oh, wait, no, this is the Olympic field. Oh, wait, why are they going there? Oh, wait, why are they fighting? And it it can happen very
1: fast if you're not quite paying attention. For sure. Yeah, and and that's very similar to, like, the, the Ghost in the Shell thing, too. Like, I bought – I was, after, like, loving Ghost in the Shell for so long, I went and got the complete box set of Ghost in the Shell, and it's like they took – A four like four five hundred page graphic novels and turned it into a ninety minute movie and it's really good, but it's just like, yeah, you realize like, man, they just had to like basically cobble together from this intensely huge storyline, like I guess like the synthesis of what they thought was the essence of this these events. And it's not like they don't do an incredible job. I mean, obviously we've given this a, a tremendous amount of praise. I think what's also hard for us is that we've watched so many things that came after akira that it's hard for us to be as like shock and awed by what i'm sure in 1988 when people saw this like they were able to overlook that so much easier because they were just in awe of the vibe you know what i mean just right. like the aesthetics and the vibe of akira was so revolutionary that like things like that were probably like left to just like hey that's <laughs> something's got to give for you to make something this incredible no, i agree um, i agree
0: i can say these two things simultaneously that I wish that it followed kind of our modern formula of, okay, the story is this long it needs to be a six part miniseries. But I also yeah. can say there are important things that it, not only did the story kind of leave out, but also it, it just kind of affected the pacing. And so the pacing at times Agreed. feels very off in the story, um, but it is a gorgeous movie. It's an important movie. And it, for, for what it is, it's fantastic Of that if that makes any sense i
1: i am really glad that it has somehow managed to avoid the the live action remake that every everything that we loved of our childhood that was animated has seemed to have gotten over the last 10 years yeah um every classic disney movie fuck they got ghost in the shell which um stop it yeah stop not great um and they've tried with Akira. They did this thing. They've they like 10 different studios. I mean, as early as the 90s, Sony had the rights and then they gave it to somebody else. They gave it to uh, Warner Brothers and Steve Norrington was about to direct it, but then he did League of Extraordinary Gentlemen oh. first instead and that oh, was such Dodge. an epic disaster that they that they yanked the rights from him. A bunch of people have had this and the last person it was given to was like literally a month after Jordan Peele came out with, uh, get, what's get the, out. what was his first movie? Get Out. At, right after came out with Get Out, they offered it to him. And he gave this hilarious interview where he was just like, what? No. Like, <laughs> why would you watch what I made? and think that i should direct akira like that's this is one of the greatest pieces of media ever made why would you get you should not be offering that to someone who just made a good low budget horror movie that's terrifying that's how that works like and you know what shout out to jordan peele for having the the integrity because a lot of people would have been like fuck yeah dude that comes with a 50 million dollar bag i'm doing that i mean dude i (laughs) i am a a amateur novelist essentially and i'm I'm
0: sitting there going, if they offered me that, I'd do it in a heartbeat. No yeah, doubt. I'd direct Akira. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I, I sure. would be big-headed like,
1: enough to be like, I can do this, I can pull this off. Um, you know uh, where the guy who directs the shitty live-action remake of Akira lives? Right next to every other good director like right. in a mansion. <laughs> like, Yeah, I and that,
0: I think my first move of doing that, and I've said this about other stories, is if they tasked me with writing it, I would say, cool, I'm only doing it if you give me, at minimum three you know one hour and 30 minute episodes or six hour long episodes i need more time to write like i'm not going to do this in one movie just, i refuse to do it because with live action you need even more time you need even more breath between like to space out the timing yeah. and in the pacing correctly you can't do what you do in this in
1: this you know animation you have to have more more uh breathing room to it so yeah they also offered it to jo- Justin Lin, the guy that's done all the Fast and the Furious sequels. And then before that, they offered it to George Miller, who did Mad Max Fury Road and Mad Max, which... That's a better choice. That that might be actually really interesting. Like, that, he might bring something unique to that. It would be... What I would appreciate about that was that he would not be trying to make their Akira. He would be making his Akira, and so it would be so separate that it would be like, we don't need to like worry that this is like some ham fisted attempt at bastardizing the original. It's like he's making his own thing. But he is a really good director and I loved Mad Max Fury Road, so the biggest reason him, that I I'd don't want
0: them him to him. do Akira live action is because the, I know there is a 95% chance that they're gonna come out with it. And then after the, you know, opening credits, it's gonna be like new San Francisco. Or new oh, yeah. <laughs> Buck, <laughs> new yeah. Miami
1: and you're just like Damn it! Damn it! Damn it! Yep, yep. And then they're gonna be like, "Hi, I'm Canada," played by fucking Tom Holland, <laughs> it's like dri- driving a yeah, motorcycle. <laughs> and then it's gonna immediately show its hand. That like,
0: hey, we didn't understand the entire we didn't themes behind this we, story
1: that we're trying we, to. Do. We read the Wikipedia to this, <laughs> like we didn't even watch this movie. Yeah, exactly. So. Oh, I know they're. Gonna yeah, do that. I mean. There was a there was a lot of like uh, beef around that concept with Ghost in the Shell, but the creator of Ghost in the Shell came out and was kind of like, "Well, this is different because like this is a future where like you know people's identities don't matter anymore. Like they they live in robot skins, so anyone can be the the major, um, which I appreciated. This, however, is so tied directly to like Japan and the identity of Japan and like their own soul searching for a, a post war." existence that like i think yeah to like set it in you know neo portland would be <laughs> was so yeah. fucking upsetting that i don't think i could get over it would it, be so. about as
0: absurd as putting a story about a shinigami in seattle washington so yeah, uh, or w- oh, yeah. that, that would
1: be thank god thank god no one's gonna do that dude dude i i will as somebody who
0: i think death note might be the my favorite i think it might be my favorite that's a weird way of wording it it is my favorite slash i think it might be the best manga. I love Death Note. And when they when I heard they were coming out with a live action, I was like, okay, that could be good. Um, kind of like Akira, they probably need more than one film. They need a miniseries to cover all the things. And that was my biggest concern is, oh, are they going to have enough time to cover everything in a film? Ooh, are they going to be able to, to do this correctly considering they're going to whitewash it? The answer is no and no. Um, and Death Note was particularly annoying because the entire manga and anime of Death Note is... cat and mouse intelligence battle between you know the world's greatest detective and you know the world's smartest criminal type deal trying to go tit for tat and trying to discover things between each other and when they came out with the live action film it was became like a series of car chases and things and i was like yeah it's like they kind of what you're saying about akira you know did did these people even watch it or did they just read the events because it feels like they didn't even know what the core story
1: is about they just know the names of the characters well they keep selecting they keep selecting things where like like the cowboy bebop is a good example like i've tried i watched the first two episodes of the cowboy bebop thing on netflix it's not the worst attempt i've ever seen they clearly tried really hard cowboy bebop the animated like the anime is so about just like the style and like the vibe and the feel and the music and like all those intangible things that like It's almost impossible. Like, I think even if you just made more Cowboy Bebop, it wouldn't be as received as well. Like, the original is so, like, it is so condensed, contained, classic in its original form. It didn't need to be more than it is. And to try to, like, recreate that in the real world where it lacks all the, like, stylistic elements that come with anime, like... You don't realize it when you're watching anime, but like the fact that like people don't move like humans. They don't look like humans. They don't have the proportions of humans. They like move in a weird way and they like you can bring style to like motion and color and dress that you can't do without making it look really strange. Like in, ca- I suddenly realized in Cowboy Bebop that like the anime, the live action, that like this dude in this like super bright blue suit with the sleeves rolled up looks super dumb in real life but like in an anime it looks really cool like you know he looks awesome in the fucking (laughs) in the anime but like once i saw it on the screen i was like no that looks horrible like why is that a thing so yeah man don't do anime don't do akira please don't do akira for for the love of god don't do that's andy's
0: opinion my opinion is if you do akira you better give us six episodes and it must be HBO because they seem to be the only ones incapable of not fucking everything up. So yeah.
1: Well, we'll see with, uh, with our, uh, rings of power episode that's coming out. That's, that's uh, prime. That's true. That's, but it's, that's Amazon, you know, that's, it's not HBO. Yeah. Somebody
0: else. Yeah. They're no, I'm saying give it to HBO. I'm saying HBO they they did screw up obviously Game of Thrones but that was really more of a writing issue and they have this horse but they're
1: bringing earlier. it they, I feel like they're doing I feel like they're doing a good job with Hot D dude I'm really enjoying I agree it with so you far.
0: I agree with you I'm just saying the the original Game
1: of Thrones like that was obviously sure no for sure oh on. yeah 7 and 8 were terrible
0: Um, bad reviews I'm gonna give you one right here Um, two stars I can't even find the full movie but it's a great movie too bad I can't finish watching it So Wow, just like the definition of a personal problem, it's two two out of five stars because she loves it, but she can't find the full version.
1: So that's interesting. I feel. I mean, did, so did she did she, did she base her star rating on the length that she got to watch? Like, did she watch forty percent of the movie? Yeah. Or like, <laughs> just, that's that's fascinating. I'm trying to find one that lost the. Obviously, this is a ninety one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So, oh, here we go. Literally, one of the worst movies I've ever watched. The dialogue is laughably bad. The acting is horrid. The story was nonsense. The acting <laughs> was bad. Man, those animated characters this, have horrible body control. <laughs> when they go home to their anime wives, they must be so
0: shamed. <laughs> I love them about the acting. My favorite bad reviews, the ones that really grind my gears are the ones that as you said before, they give an opinion and then they try to attach objectivity to it and say it sucks and then they say something that is inherently wrong to try to back it up and they try to treat it as a fact. So here's one, two stars, definitely overrated. You could drop 80% of the movie and nothing would change in how the plot develops. That's a crazy take. That's an insane take. I mean, one thing I will say about this story is I, I alluded to earlier how I don't think that there was enough time to flesh out all the events. But one thing that's true about this movie is that everything that happens after about 20 minutes in everything that happens directly leads to the next thing happening. Right? Like getting you know, the motorcycle crash leads to uh Tetsuo getting captured, leads to him having the powers, leads to his friends having to try to bail him out, leads to so it just yeah, the idea that you could take out eighty percent of the movie, you took out if you took out eighty percent of the movie and tried to make a coherent
1: plot line, it would just be a series of action events that had no connection at all. So that's a crazy take. Dude, that's so like I watched the first two episodes of Rings of Power last night and it is a controversial series, like from the jump. Like obviously, there's a lot of people going into that that don't like it. And I went to Rotten Tomatoes this morning, and it has like an 87 or 88 from critics, and it has a 38 from the audience. And I was like, "Damn, dude!" Because I, I really liked it, and I was like, "Do people hate it this much?" So I click, and 40% of the reviews I saw roughly were five stars or four stars, and they're mostly just people being like, "Great start," you know, looks very normal, standard box standard reviews. Then there was just like a shitload of half star or zero star reviews that were just like some of the worst writing I've ever seen. Could only make it a minute and a half in, and I was like, well, "There's no half. words in the first minute and a half." So like, I don't know if you can like really give the writing a, a full r- rundown in that amount of time. Like, or people being like, "Like I I love the Tolkien lore," but people that are just like. Um, the simmerils were not uh, crafted in this particular. All five simmerils were not crafted in the same oven. They were, four of them were crafted here, and what you know, like something like that. We were just like, does that really ruin the show for you? That like they said that all. So it's just like people doing that kind of thing. Here's one for Akira, two stars. I watched because I heard it was a classic, but afterwards I have no idea how it got that title. So much is unexplained. Why are there gray midget psychic people? Why does that red motorcycle only have like two minutes of screen time? Why is every single character such a piece of shit? Seriously, there's not a single damn character I can root for. Everyone's a bad guy. That's the review. First of all, that's not true. I don't know how else to combat that. Also dude, like what, what do what kind of shit do you watch where they would explain why the motorcycle isn't on screen more? You wanted a line of dialogue that was like, Oh no, I lost my motorcycle. It will not be appearing later in for the rest of our time together. Also, what do you mean you wanted to explain why they're gray midget psychic people? Like, d- they don't explain, like, where the Force comes from in Star Wars. Actually, they do, eventually, and it sucks ass <laughs> yeah. once we get the midi Yeah, problem. dog. We don't want that. That's not how fucking sci-fi or fantasy work, dude. Like, oh, dude, some of these people. Oh, that That is an infuriating one also when he's like every character is bad like yeah dude lots of interesting stories are told with like no no like objective hero like the this isn't the fucking teletubbies like where's the logic of this movie i was begging for it to end completely wasted my time seeing this and i'm really mad about it crappiest movie i've ever seen what is where's the logic of this movie mean yeah dude it's a sci-fi fantasy movie like there's not going to be much logic. It's not a documentary. Like, what are you talking about?
0: I love the ones that will just be like, two stars, sucks, Evangelion was better. It's like, okay. It's like having a fantastic cheeseburger
1: and be like, well, it wasn't a porterhouse. It sucks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like, what? Yeah. I mean, dude, you're totally allowed to like Evangelion more than you like Akira. That doesn't mean Akira sucks. Like, 1 star back in the early 2000s i enjoyed this movie but nowadays i find it as overrated as crash okay let's be honest crash is not rated by anyone anymore like yeah it was great <laughs> for like
0: a year or two and then people were like okay
1: that's that was at a time when we like we were still as a culture we had learned that racism was bad but we hadn't really learned how to like deal with that so we were like still doing the like racism is where one or two bad apples hate black people and ever, all of us the rest of us are innocent <laughs> like crashes that movie let's see here most of these are five stars i mean most people love akira much too deep for me some strange concepts based on an apocalyptic fantasy world very japanese rated as one of the best anime films but really not to my liking got quickly bored by it well i mean you know what i'll give you credit for putting much too deep for me because like you know what, if that's not your your bag, that's not your bag, and I'm glad you own it, instead of trying to be like, uh, bad writing, uh, why isn't the motorcycle in it more? The only thing that I'm consistently seeing in the
0: bad reviews that I kind of understand is being a little bit confused as to what's going on, because if you are watching this and you're not, it is one of those movies where because of how much, how many events they had to condense into one film, if you don't pay attention the entire time, you can get confused. I think most people, if they paid attention and put their phone away and they watched it, they could understand what's happening. But it, it can lose you if you're not fully paying attention. For sure. Things move very fast.
1: These, these are also very confusing to me. This guy's review is, With its masterful animation and pure energy, Akira signifies a true milestone in modern animation and cinema itself. Two stars damn dude like (laughs) i i would love to see what you write about a five star you must like (laughs) i am dead i have died watching this film it
0: has killed me the artwork is this is a one star review the artwork is like a down syndrome version of dragon ball okay that's a crazy take
1: that is an insane take dude that is you should be arrested for writing that they should automatically come to your house and take you the, away for the writing
0: detail that. and the subtlety in the backgrounds and in the forefront of every single scene they have a lot of these still shots that are captured beautifully that if they were again if it was live action it was directed like that it would be yeah. incredible I mean yeah you you can say a lot of things about this film and when you talk about the animation you can maybe even say the way in which they made this animation is a little outdated but the quality of animation for what they had available at the time is like a it's like an 11 out of 10 i don't know how you can say and even dragon ball which dragon ball's not animated well at all so to compare it poorly against dragon ball is just like i, I question
1: if you've seen either
0: of these akira or dragon yeah ball.
1: And, and that's just so that's just so weird because it's like if you're into anime how could you not like akira you know what i mean like i understand if you're like you, you detest that whole shtick and so you won't give this a chance but like you're really into you love dragon ball and you don't like this yeah that's
0: crazy okay Okay. here's a one star that that uh, this falls directly into our line of fire things that we hate if you like this you are pretentious
1: oh yes here we
0: go you you liked this film that i didn't like that i found boring therefore you're you're just being pretentious you're pretending which is hey you know what i guess i got to put myself in that basket because i say that about hunter s thompson i'm always like <laughs> if you like hunter s thompson you're pretending <laughs> uh so maybe that's how they view us whatever
1: but hey you know what we're we're we are self we are self editing again i always let myself get worked up by these and then i'm like You know what? I'm seeking out stuff that will anger me. That's not a good idea.
0: Okay, I got one that's going to put you just completely over the moon. This is the worst one-star review for Akira that I could find. One star. It's just a bunch of boring tropes from common anime film cliches.
1: Oh, (laughs) goddammit.
0: Characters yelling each other's names and powering up. It's like they're trying to be Dragon Ball.
1: Yes, that is what they were going for. They were going for Dragon Ball. They
0: were going for... Actually, they say Dragon Ball Z, which makes it worse. Yes, they are trying to be a a series that wouldn't come out for another 15 years. Yes, that's exactly what they're trying to be.
1: They they hopped right off the time machine. They were like, I've got it, boys. (laughs) Check out these... Wait, we don't have a DVD player. Shit! Okay, I'll tell you what I remember. I really didn't
0: enjoy the moments where the main guy was hallucinating. I think he's referring to Tatsuo. What the heck was he even the main character? I don't know. The movie didn't really establish that. That is like that is not man. That is not understanding like the character web or anything. Um, I guess people like this don't really watch anime. Hmm. Hmm. So this guy's an anime expert, and he's telling you that Akira, the film that came out in 1988, and the manga that came out way before that, is copying things that came. Ten to fifteen years after Akira, that's that's
1: fantastic. Great review, dude. uh, That that, I really hope that person is like fourteen. I hope that person's going through horrible times in their life
0: right now. (laughs) No, I'm obviously kidding. Or or am I? Atrocious plot. Completely one-dimensional characters. Wow, that's a bold ass take. One-dimensional characters. No kidding. Tatsuo, it shows his you know it shows how he grew up and needed to belong somewhere, and he was constantly chasing Kanada Was never going to be as good as Kanada, and then he gets these godlike powers, and it goes to his head because he finally, finally feels like he's should be good enough for people, but they were still treating him like a monster. So he's he never got over his inferiority, and it led to him destroying Tokyo. Yeah, very one dimensional character. Far too many explosions. That's a new one. I, I haven't seen the. There's too many explosions. That's a that's a new one for me. Um, but yeah, we can go over these all day. There's a there's a there's a lot of bad reviews on this one.
1: I got I got one last one for you okay. from the critic side of the house. Oh gosh, Jonathan Rosenbaum, a top critic from the Chicago Reader, says grade school violence freaks may find a few kicks here but even they may have trouble coping with this ugly movie's ending about eight separate times. I don't really feel like... Yeah, you really got him there, Jonathan. Yeah, I don't really feel like they (laughs)
0: jipped you out of your shoes too much on the ending. I don't really know about there being eight endings. That's kind of a... Yeah, I don't know. Unless he's just like... uh, Unless he just can't comprehend that there would be like a moment of brevity during an action scene, and you're just like waiting for the next thing he's like oh it must be over and then it, it pops back up to life and you're like oh dang it so I don't, I, don't, I don't know what I'm saying but uh, neither does this guy anyways what do you have this rated as
1: uh dude this is a solid 9 for me uh, maybe a 9.5 even I mean this is like the this as far as like as far as like ranking things within their, their genre like as far as like anime goes like it's this and Ghost in the Shell at the very top for me um it is just it's beautiful it's like as far as like making a case for animation as art this is at the very very top of the pile um from a writing and storytelling perspective i agree with you that like maybe the format doesn't lend itself perfectly to what it is but it made such a long-lasting impact it's such a cultural milestone and cornerstone of so many things that came after it it's so iconic and it's something that I watch, like I said, like on an almost annual basis at this point. So I think I'd be doing myself a disservice if I gave it anything less than a nine. What about you? I'm going to give it an eight point five. I'm going to, and and I could go a little bit lower
0: because of some of the, like I said, the confusion. And there are, again, if if you grade this against how things can be done today, breaking it up into six episode miniseries, having you know, better tools for your animation arsenal while also having the same kind of expertise around the animation, this could be better, right? But it was phenomenal for when it came out. It was incredibly influential. So you have to give it a ton of credit for that. Um, I loved what happens with Tatsuo. I think that's a great character arc, despite what one reviewer said, where he's like, "It's there's no, you know, character um it's he's a great villain uh or great i don't even call him villain he's more of an antagonist i love his character outline and how how that's done um yeah i i can't say much else i think we've kind of covered everything um it's it's great and if you're into i would say i i personally like ghost in the shell better if you if you liked ghost in the shell you should give akira
1: a try for sure yeah oh man We got. I love Ghost in the Shell. (laughs) Ghost in the
0: Shell. We need an episode on Ghost in the Shell. But maybe we'll replay it sometime. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Well, as always, if you like what you heard, please like, give us a subscription, and tell your friends. Give us a rating and just everything in between. Really helps us fight the algorithm and uh, helps us grow, so we can continue to put out great content for you guys. Once again, this is Sam with Novel Discourse. I'm Andy. We'll see you next time. Peace.
1: Peace.